0: hi hey ryan hello david how's it going i'm pretty good now it's been a while yeah what are we uh what are we up to today we're uh happy merry christmas and
1: holidays yeah whatever other holidays are happening right now time off work thanksgiving i guess at the time of this recording
0: time of this recording it's happy thanksgiving but we'll probably be listening to it in December. We are reviewing Die Hard 2,
1: which is a sweet Christmas movie. It's one of the more classic Christmas movies, I think. Christmas sequels, too.
0: Aw. I think it's called Die Hard 2, Die Harder.
1: That's not the actual name of the movie. That's just what's on the poster.
0: Die Hard 2, Die Harder was filmed in 1990 (laughs) and directed by Rennie Harlan. And it was pretty good.
1: It, I think it's one of the best action movies and one of the best sequels ever
0: made. Well, we know the best sequel ever made was John Wick 2, which hopefully you've listened to. It's a good podcast. <laughs> uh, let's start this off. Let's. Uh, we got a new format. We're going to keep it a little more cohesive.
1: Yeah, so let's just
0: run down the plot real quick. Christmas Eve, 1990. Two years after the Nakatomi Tower incident, we once again see John McClane. What that
1: boy? He's in the D.C. Dallas airport. And he's uh, waiting for his sweetheart. Yeah, who keeps paging him, and he's really annoyed by it. And they have a little conversation on the yeah. phone.
0: I was impressed that 1990, so this was filmed in 1990, that you could call someone from the airplane. That was pretty cool.
1: Well, it is the 90s.
0: He's got to catch up with the technology. It is the
1: 90s. Who's calling him? It's his wife. What does she want? It's Christmas Eve. She's just telling him she's going to be a little late. The flight's a little delayed. Oh, God.
0: I'm just going to go get a drink and people watch. So that's what he does. And he's people watching. Cut to uh, within the first three minutes, there's a sweet nude scene. (laughs) (laughs) with um, a uh, US Army Special Forces Colonel William Stewart and he is just uh, doing some karate naked and you see that big old butt of his and that's when I thought oh it's going to be one of these movies Mm -hmm. awesome full frontal nudity three minutes in male
1: It's it's the only nudity you see in the whole movie sadly the, um, it's really funny how that's how they establish his character because that's also on the TV. That's when they're listening to, uh, the news report about
0: some general from Valverde, A fictional country, Valverde, General Roman Esperanza. And now he's on his way to America to be extradited for guerrilla warfare crimes.
1: Yeah, basically. So he's been arrested for, I think, drug trafficking specifically.
0: Yeah, racketeering yeah I don't know. He's a drug lord, so John McLean's just like chilling out a bit bit be doo do do do, and uh then it shows him run into Colonel William Stewart in the airport, and he's like, I look you look familiar' he goes, oh yeah, so do you. Well, that was foreshadowing. it was oh, awesome.
1: They're both gonna know each other boom, yeah, and so the villain and John the protagonist have met. John notices some uh, suspicious activity as he's drinking a
0: little uh, one. It looked like a screwdriver and he's smoking in the airport. I thought that was cool. Hey, come on. Get with the 90s. You could still smoke in an airport. It's It looks so foreign to me now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was like, what the hell? Pager? That's one thing. But he's smoking in an airport and he notices these guys acting weird and passing a package underneath. Now, at the very start of the movie, John's about to get a a parking ticket, and the guy it's a um, it's a jerk. His name's Lorenzo. Cheer- no, it's a different cop.
1: Oh, he's getting a parking ticket by a different cop who turns out to be the dude's cousin later on. Oh, in the movie. Okay.
0: Anyways, this is a bad parking uh, cop. They're, they're just being dicks to each other at the beginning of the movie. And then John goes up to a officer in the airport. Goes, excuse me, I think something weird's going on. And the guy turns around. And it's the same guy. He's like, "All right, I'll just drop it because you're a jerk." Well, he shouldn't have because it would have stopped everything. Because what they're planning to do is intercept the flight with Ver- Valverde's General es- Esper. Yeah, the general dude. We Esperanza. Need we don't even yeah. really know his name. Yeah. He's
1: just the... The general's on a plane, and it's very... Uh, there's got to be a lot more security.
0: They make jokes yeah. about how there's no security in the the airport. So, cut to... There's a small farm on the outskirt of the airport. It's like an old church. And some henchmen show up and kill the old man that's in there, in the church. He's a caretaker. And it's uh, Colonel William Stewart's... Colonel Stewart's men. And they're setting up some sort of communication... Uh, area yeah. close enough to the airport they can intercept them. Yeah, they're basically setting up home base. Yeah, like a, uh, like a what pirate ATC.
1: Yeah, basically.
0: And then so John McClane
1: follows the, the shady characters into the baggage. Uh, it's like where all the baggage
0: moves. Yeah, he's like, what the hell's shit. with you? What do you got? And they were up to no good. Gunfight ensues and dude's head gets squished. That was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, so the one guy dies. John
0: McClane gets arrested by the cops. He's like, I'm a cop. I'm a cop. And that's when he meets... That's when he meets Lorenzo. Yeah. Like, Detective Lorenzo? Or Sergeant Lorenzo. Sergeant Lorenzo. And he's like, I know who you are. You think you big, tough LA guys can bring that shit to here? It's Christmas Eve. I ain't doing shit. I ain't launching an investigation. We got X amount of planes coming and blah, blah, blah. So you're like, all right. There was a murder in the airport. And you're like, just, just sweep it under the rug. So John McLean's like, hell no. And he's like, I'm going to use uh, my detective skills. So he goes up to the information booth girl and just takes some paper and an ink pad and he runs to the corner guy and he goes, oh, hey, guys, uh, I need to do something From it, And he gets the guy's fingerprints Then he goes up to that girl, the information booth girl, and calls his buddy. Yeah, Carl Winslow. Carl Winslow in L.A. And Carl's like, according to my records, this is like a rogue army personnel that has been dead for 15 years in a plane crash in Valverde. He's like, what the... F- that doesn't make sense. I just saw him die twice. And Lorenzo wants nothing to do with it. They go up to ATC and all of a sudden there's an inter- interception transmission. It's a phone call from Stewart. Colonel Stewart. And he's like, if you don't have an a seven forty seven, gassed up, waiting for us when the general Esperanzo lands. Then we will start causing chaos to all the airplanes. And he overrides the ATC system so that uh, airplanes can't fucking see the runway. And it's a snowstorm on Christmas Eve, so all the planes are packed. Yeah. Th- God damn, this is he's not got, good.
1: He's got full control; like they're gonna have to comply. And they only have
0: fifty eight minutes. To make a decision. Ironically, now this movie, every minute of the movie is exactly one minute in the decision making. I like that. It's like twenty four.
1: It's also based off the book, fifty eight minutes. What? Yeah, so all the the three diehard movies are all based off action novels of like different worlds at this time.
0: Oh, ah, it's like the American version
1: of James Bond. Kind of, yeah. So but Yeah, so um Basically, uh, the telecommunications director guy, he's like, oh, there's a new tower. We can go out there, and we can contact each individual plane from that tower. So he takes a full SWAT team out there. Uh, Then that's when Sergeant or Colonel Stewart? Yeah, Colonel Stewart's men uh, turn on him, shoot him up. John McClain's sneaking his way there because the the cops are like, no, you can't. You can't go to that tower. You can't escort him. Leslie Barnes. Leslie it, Barnes. It, Ving Rames, maybe. No, it wasn't. We'll just call him like the engineer or something. Yeah. We don't need character names. People have seen this movie.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> have they?
1: Yeah, hopefully. Anyways, the thing uh Die Hard
0: Two, Die Harder.
1: <laughs> it's not called Die Hard Two, Die Harder. So there so he's up in the air ducts again. Yeah with the
0: help of, of Janitor Marvey.
1: Oh yeah, so we introduced Marvin. He's a character. Uh <laughs>
0: uh. Do they do they shoot up first or do they There's a shootout. Um Leslie Barnes doesn't make it. He looks kind of like Danny Glover. I don't know his name. He doesn't make it to the ATC. And Colonel Stewart proves to them, hey, listen, you know, I'm serious. You better take my my uh, demand seriously. And he crashes like a British plane and all of them die. You're missing the
1: point where he blows up the tower. And that's when... Oh, That's when McLean goes and starts working with the guys at the control office. And then he gets the phone call and McLean's like, no, you're going to stop now. We're not going to listen to you. And then he crashes the plane.
0: Oh, man. So the the air air traffic control tower is gone. Um, Colonel Stewart's directing everything. Colonel Stewart's directing it because he was, uh, oh, they have a computer system set so that they can change the baseline for ground. And he subtracted it by like eight or nine hundred feet. Two hundred feet. So they were instead of a like thousand, s- they were
1: at eight hundred. Yeah.
0: So so they friggin' if they crash because by the time they pop out of the clouds, so this ain't good. So John McClain is is gonna take down this whole MF's, you know. Um, then shows up a U.S. Special Forces team led by Major Grant and. He's listening on a two way radio that was dropped by one of Stewart's henchmen. McLean finds out that uh, General Esperanza has killed the guys on the plane and now he's piloting the plane towards Dulles. So now he knows what's up. He has like a bad guy's walkie talkie. He knows Colonel Stewart's waiting for General Esperanza. They're going to transfer to another uh 747 and take off because he doesn't want I guess all the bad guys don't want General Esperanza to uh get picked up by the police they want to get out of there and go to another fake South American country
1: Yeah so uh, John McLean is basically on the on the runway when the plane lands and when the door opens he's there to you know get in a small fight with Esperanza uh The dudes from Colonel Stewart's posse shows up and like saves him. And then John McClane's stuck in the plane or he's trapped in the plane. So they all throw grenades in it. So he straps himself to the pilot seat and ejects just as the grenades explode. Nice. Surviving. (laughs) So that's
0: pretty badass. Yeah, there's a lot of badass scenes in this movie. Uh, After that, where do they go from after that? He hitches a ride on a helicopter that drops him off the wing of the taxing other plane. Oh yeah, he, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah! Because they finally get yeah. us brought to the other plane. There's like a big snowmobile chase in the scene yeah. too, because they and find
0: the place. And he jams the the airplane's thing with his jacket so it can't really take off. And he's fighting on the jet, wing uh, engine, and he kicks. Um, That Grant guy, Special Forces Grant guy, into the engine, and he dies. He was working for Stewart. Um, Stewart then comes out and succeeds into knocking McLaren off the plane before removing his jacket. (coughs) However, as he falls, he notices that McLean has, like, opened the fuel. I don't think he's noticed that. Oh. So what John McLean has done is he's trying to sabotage his plane from taking off, and he's screwed up an engine and he popped the fuel thing so as the plane's moving it's it's leaking fuel and John McClane because uh, Colonel Stewart kicked him off the plane off the wing he's now on the runway and he's like bad move buddy and lights it and the plane explodes killing every one of the bad guys every single one in one take yeah it's like that was easy and then he probably bangs the shit out of his wife yeah, because the, the
1: explosion ends up becoming like a beacon for all the other planes to be able to land. Oh, yeah.
0: That's so smart. So now, because we forgot, ATC's dead. P- technology's great. That was a the theme of this movie. But, so without technology, the planes literally couldn't land. So we've lost the ability to do old school stuff. That's going to be a common theme. So in this, they're like, we can't see it. Um, we have no communication uh, with the ATC, I don't oh, know. They have, they have
1: the there's a beacon signal that sends them. It says they're near the airport, so they're communicating over that.
0: Yeah. So that they only know that they're near the airport, but they can't see where to land and all that. But now that that exploded plane is there, they're like, "Oh, there! We see it. We should land where there's an exploded plane. There's no problems. We haven't heard from ATC." And then John McClane and his wife reunite, and it's so good.
1: Yeah, it's a very satisfying movie, despite like the massive hyperbole of how easy it would be to take out terrorists like that. Like, I don't think I feel like the plane would move faster than the the fuel would stay connected.
0: Yeah, like there, it wouldn't be a steady stream.
1: Yeah, that it would break at some point, so it wouldn't actually catch up to the plane.
0: Reunited and it feels so good. So that's the summary. John McLean's at the airport to pick up his wife. Terrorists are like mm mm. We ain't letting anybody go until we can get this South American drug lord landed and onto another plane because we're all defectors too. And we're going to go live in. We're going to live some sweet life. Sweet life in the Caribbean uh, with, in a jungle. How, like, you know, we're going to just live like gorillas. Not gorillas like, I mean, G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A. Gorilla warfare. Warlords. Yeah. Uh, but John's like, no way, not on my watch, not on my watch, and he basically takes down the whole operation with the help of Carl Winslow, Marv, and basically. And I don't want to be the only people that really help John, and the defer- all of the movies are nice black guys. That's very true.
1: Very <laughs> common theme in Die Hard, <laughs> and,
0: and the only people that want to stop him are asshole, old school sergeants. So like, stop playing these new games, John, and just stick to the facts. You're just a cop, John McLean. And he's like, nah, I'm cool. Look at my friends. This guy was in that show with Urkel.
1: I used to watch that show. Family Matters. I used to watch that show every day after school.
0: (laughs) So anyways, John and the help of his, his friends, all bald guys, too.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of bald guys in this, <laughs> in this movie.
0: Oh yeah. And ironically, this is probably the last movie that he uh Bruce Willis had hair.
1: Did he have hair in this movie? He, oh yeah. He, he, he hair has, in has hair in this movie. Oh yeah. I wonder if is this the last Do You know what he looks like? He looks like a young like you know when they portray like young Homer Simpson? Yeah. Like when, when Bart's just a baby? Yeah. That's what Bruce Willis with hair looks
0: like. What what diehard did he start going bald, I wonder?
1: I think four. Because I think he has hair in Die Hard 3, right? When oh, he's running barely. around the
0: subway and... Die Hard 3 with a vengeance? This, this whole trilogy is a man's refusal to take Rogaine. <laughs> <laughs> he's just... He's try hard to keep his hair. That's what it is. Anyways.
1: so um,
0: So, what did you give it out of 10? Hey, we kept it awesome. down under 20 minutes for the synopsis. Yeah, it was great. We, <laughs> sorry we, for we anyone listening. We spent through it. To, sorry for anybody else that listened to the
1: John Oh, we forgot to mention the subplot of his wife on the plane. Oh, yeah. There's like a douchebag oh, journalist yeah. on there. Oh, yeah.
0: So his wife, Holly, is on the plane, uh, and she doesn't like this guy Thorold. He's an asshole, okay? His name is Dick. Dick Thorold. And uh, she's sitting beside a lovely old lady with a taser, right? And... um. When he gets on the plane, he's like, ah, I don't want to be back here with the peasants. I'm supposed to be in first class. She goes, sir, we told you we overbooked. I'm sorry. Well, it turns out he goes, I can't see you next to this woman because he has a restraining order against her because. So I totally forgot this in the first movie, but uh,
1: the journalist is the one who outs the identity of John McClane's wife. And uh, the terrorist takes her hostage uh, so- because she's part of the, she's one of the hostages, I think. And so that was his... That's their their subplot in Die Hard 1. They don't like each other from the first one. Yeah. But when, when I first watched this, I was like, why the... F-? Like, that's so fucking random. Like, <laughs> he just points at the woman, I've got a restraining order against yeah, her. Yeah,
0: yeah. So throughout the thing, this guy who needs to know what's going on. He hears a communication of what's going on and does the same thing. He's calling people, making things worse, again, because it's make upsetting the... the
1: yeah, Colonel he's, Stewart he's, and all that. He's the one who delivers a, a news speech that's broadcasted within the airport about how there's terrorists that have taken control of the control towers.
0: And the control ca- And the S- Colonel Stewart told people not to do that.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so um, it just causes panic at the. the yeah. So she eventually shuts
0: the guy up for good and uses the old woman's taser.
1: Yeah. Thank God. So that was that was just like another subplot that happened. In the I
0: year. actually wanted to talk about that as my favorite scene, but we'll come back. What did you give it out of ten?
1: Out of ten, I'm probably gonna give it like an
0: eight. Eight out of ten. Yeah. I give it six and a half John McClane's out of ten. Nice. Yeah, I uh, I didn't like it as much as you did.
1: Yeah, I thought of the two we watched to prepare for this day, um, I liked it so much more. So
0: um. So yeah, 8 out of 10. Wh- so you told me to write down uh overall thoughts, right? Yeah, what's your overall thought of the movie? I thought <clears throat> I thought it was great uh that it's based on a separate book and not sort of a direct sequel. So I drew allusions to um it's like the Super Mario 2 of the movie world. So That's a good. That's good. Yeah. Like Super Mario Bros was amazing, but Super Mario 2 was actually supposed to be a game called Yupi yumi kojo doki doki panic whatever that means
1: nice and i would it, still play that game
0: <laughs> well i looked at videos of it originally the guy was like fr- in arabia so he kind of looks like a fat aladdin and like so what they did for america was they just changed the skins of the characters and made it Mario characters and at the very end they're like, Gotcha, it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine and <laughs> Yumi Kojo Doki Doki panic scene. Like I don't know what that means, but um I just thought it was cool. And it was like that. This was based on a book called uh fifty eight minutes, which has the very similar plot. It's like an identical plot. Except it's not John McClane. Yes. Yeah. It's 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 another character, an FBI guy. I think it was uh, written by Walter Wagner. Um, but I just love that they didn't just make like a hokey made for screen adaption. This is a really good action film based off a really cool action book. They just massaged it into the world of um, Die Hard. And that was, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, what else? Unabomber. I thought that there was a lot of uh, allusions to the Unabomber because in his manifesto, he talks about the perils of technology and how it's going to ruin society. And the the theme in this movie was it was often a lot of like, come on, John, get, you're using a fax machine. Get with the 90s uh, or how you doing up there? I'm not using this pager thing. Come on, John. It's the '90s. Get with it. like everyone's like get with the '90s, John. Yet he has to use old school techniques. So that's kind of like the Unabomber was like talking even in the '80s about the demise of humans through technology, or even the '70s. I don't know when he wrote the manifesto, but um, and also so, some of the some of the the Unabomber had bombs that would detonate on airplanes at certain altitudes, and these these bad guys had systems in place they could... It changed the reference point. Yeah, it changed, like, like an altitude weapon as well. So there's that illusion, that illusion, and um, I have some other thoughts, but go ahead on your thoughts.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think, in terms of a sequel, I think it's one of the strongest sequels I've ever seen, because uh, it... It did have a very similar story arc in the sense of, like, how the climaxes happened. Uh, they wasted no resources on the actual, like, action and stunt scenes. Like, those were fantastic. Um, yeah, it was just really strong. It was captivating. It was a Christmas movie. Christmas movie. Yeah, It qualifies. I don't, <laughs> I'll fight people if they think otherwise.
0: Um, I don't want to fight.
1: What
0: Black. was your favorite scene? Okay. Do you, why don't you do yours first, and then do I'll what? do mine. Yeah. My
1: favorite scene? Okay. Um, my favorite scene was actually... Uh, I think, yeah, you said this. It was when she tases the dude in the bathroom uh, on the plane. <laughs> she tases the journalist. Because he's on the phone delivering this like monologue report of what he's figured out, what he's learned based on... Uh, recording the communication that says there's a terrorist attack happening at the moment. Yeah. So he's on, he's going on and like, he's talking about himself. and He's like, and if this may be my last broadcast, and that's when she tases him. <laughs> so I'm just thinking about people who are like watching the news and they're listening to this and it just like cuts out. And the, the other news reporters is like, uh, Dick, Dick, are you there? Dick. And like, he's not. Like, wouldn't you be
0: freaking the fuck out? So, I now know why we're friends. I will read you on what I wrote down. I can do it off my... I just want to prove to Dave that it's ridiculous that our favorite scenes are, quote, the scene on the plane with Holly McLean and the old woman with the taser, which is later used to subdue that asshole Thornburg. (laughs) So my favorite scene is when she talks to the old lady and that guy comes in. I'm like, what a dick. And the old lady has a taser and your favorite scene is her using that taser. And yet in our synopsis of the movie, we didn't even mention this subplot. And it's our favorite part. We just like the airplane part. Fuck John McClane was just in the way of this love story between an old woman and her taser Well listen for that 58 minutes most of it was pretty boring on that plane Yeah I mean think about it What it was only the 90s so they didn't even have in-flight personalized entertainment
1: well it looked like she was listening to music at one point with those really fucking wonky looking earbuds yeah
0: so my favorite scene was uh when she meets the old woman and she talks about using the taser on her puppy and it didn't even walk right for a week i was like damn this old bitch is like she's tough sorry for calling her a bitch i meant she's she's a tough independent woman i uh i also i just like the scene where
1: he does call the number on his pager and yeah. he's all like confused, like what? You're on a plane calling me? She's like, <laughs> get with the times. Yeah, we have airphones now. It's
0: the '90s, John. And then
1: it was ultimately the earphone that like caused the panic in well, the airport.
0: Like well, the guy used it to do his broadcast with it. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Isn't that the theme of this movie? Like, I, I think it is. Yeah, I, I wrote it. It's a great sequel that meshes gender roles, action, good versus evil, religion versus technology, and has family values. And it really did have allusions to the Unabomber's manifesto. Seriously, there
1: was, there was jokes about it being a sequel. They all throughout the movie,
0: and they even mentioned fifty-eight minutes, which is a direct reference to the book that it's, it's, it's um, based on. Okay, there's no way our characters, our favorite characters, are the same.
1: Yeah, I doubt it.
0: Okay, Okay. you go. I'll go first. Okay, please don't be the same as me.
1: Th- that's uh, so
0: funny about our favorite scenes. Favorite character.
1: John fucking McLean, man. Oh, that guy. <laughs> or runner up was uh Leslie Barnes.
0: Okay, good. Whew. Who did, who did you put down? Oh. I wrote down Information Booth girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I explain this a little bit?
1: Of, of course.
0: I thought that this perfectly summed up what movies thought of women. In the 90s and how, you know, ridiculous it was. At the start of the scene with her, John McClane's asking her for a bunch of information and she can't give it to him. And he's just this rude, arrogant man. Fuck off, sir. Right? Mm -hmm. Then John McClane comes back and steals her pad of paper and ink pad to get fingerprints for the guy, then runs back with the fingerprints... And just takes her phone, like a piece, of, like, just, I need this. And she's like, who is this guy? He is rude. He's a piece of crap. And then she sees that he's faxing the fingerprints to Carl. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Carl. What? <laughs> Winslow. Winslow. Carl Winslow. And he IDs the guy, and the guy's like, oh, my God. And then she realizes he's being a jerk not because he's an asshole, but because he's actually trying to save the airport. She she identifies this and goes, oh, he's a good man who's just a jerk as well. well and, he's from New York. He's just trying to get things done. Yeah, so she went from absolutely hating this male figure to realizing that there's some good in him and literally saying, hey, after you help the world, maybe you can go out for coffee with me. My shift's over. And he has to tell her. Didn't you see the ring? Like, lift it up, like, check. You saw this. And she's like, bye. And she's just, like, total into him. And I was like, that's what they thought of women in the 90s? You uh, you could change them from hating you to loving you in three, four minutes? Well, all you got to do is be saving the world. Yeah. But he, he went from, like, the male archetypal asshole to being the male archetypal asshole but with a heart. And apparently that's the key to women's hearts. The that melted woman. a woman. That's the key. to. She this was going to throw heart. her panties at him. And I was just like, I like that. That was like crazy. The little interaction they had in a two minute scene. And there was a whole love story there. She fell in love with John McClain within two minutes. And that was my favorite character.
1: I see. That's why I love John McLean because he's so like, he's so faithful to his cause and what he's doing. And his wife. Well, yeah, exactly. He's just a faithful guy. So he actually gets uh, hit on twice in the uh, in the movie. The second time is when he's escorting the other journal, the good journalists, the journalist who practices journalism the right way. Uh, when he's escorting her to get into a car and they're gonna go somewhere, she's like, "If I get this story, I'll have your babies." <laughs> and he's like, "That's not the kind of ride I'm looking for."
0: Like, think of that. One girl's willing to just drop her panties. The other girl's like. Beyond dropping my panties, I want your seed. I I do think that was a joke. Seed. <laughs> so what was your favorite s- character? Oh, wait. We so, yeah, did that. John, so John McClane, yeah. Oh, yeah. We did that. All right. Well, that's pretty cool. This movie was pretty good. Um, What the heck did it make? I didn't even look any of that up. Oh, okay. I got it. Uh, $70 million budget, which is... Kind of big for this movie back in ninety, and it made two hundred and thirty nine point five million worldwide, making it the most profitable Christmas film, and doubling that of Die Hard one. God damn! God damn, Joe Rogan, that crazy. Um, it was worth it,
1: I think. It's it's up there. You know what though? It's not even the best Die Hard movie. I'd say it's like the best number two sequel that's out there it, it'll match any number two sequel but it's not even the best Die Hard movie <laughs> what about John Wick 2
0: that was pretty freaking good yeah but that's the John Wick movies we're talking about Die Hard there's a bunch of Godfather 2 better than the original that's true we don't have to get into what sequels that are better than the original we just for once we found one that was very good yeah how would you rank the Die Hard movies Die Hard 1 Die Hard three, two, and four. There's a fifth
1: one too. I Did you watch it? I have not. I think that, I'm pretty sure there's a fifth one. Oh. I think it's got Kevin Smith in it. Or that might be the fourth one. He's on the he gets on the wing of a fucking a fighter jet. Yeah, I like that one.
0: Uh, I did not. Well, I gave t- I gave one, three, two. That's my order for the originals. I'll do three, one, two. You like three? Oh, yeah, that's scene with Samuel L. Jackson. Um, okay, what else? Um, the critics. The critics kind of liked it. They did. 70% on Rotten Tomato. Uh, an average score of 6.2. Roger Ebert, who gave the original film a negative review, described the sequel as terrific entertainment. I just pictured Donald Trump saying "terrific." Uh, what do you
1: What do you think gave him a change of heart? The first one's like just as entertaining.
0: I think it's because it was a cult classic. So often people don't know what's going to be a cult classic. So two years is long enough. He's like, oh, "God damn it!" I said, "Die Hard sucks," and everyone's still talking about it. You know what I mean? Like Gremlins, maybe. We're like what is it with Gremlins? Has, has he ever like retracted a bad review he's given? Like, I, don't um, that. I don't know, but J- Jay Boyard of the Orlando Sentinel dubbed the film as disappointing a sequel as another 48 hours in Robocop 2. What? Screw you, Jay Boyard. You don't know shit, Jay. Um, Gene Siskel ranked the film 6th best, mo- best movie of 1990 and Maxim Magazine ranked the film's plane crash number two on the greatest movie plane crashes. Ooh,
1: that's a that's a renowned honor from Maxim magazine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a when I, if I ever make a movie with you, I just want to know Maxim is into it. Yeah, I, I want to get ranked in some bogus fucking list. Here's another cool fact: Die Hard Two is the first film to use digitally composed live action footage with a traditional painted background and then yeah, it that was that was the final scene. It was scanned into a computer. Yeah, the final scene took place on the runway.
1: Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, "Oh, some of those panes are painted, painted. Some of those paint some of those planes are painted."
0: Fuck. <laughs> and then uh yeah, and I said sixth something too, it was weird. Um and they said that this was based off uh The villains were based off the Central American Iran-Contra affair. So when I was talking to you yesterday, I was like, there is some similarities to like guerrilla warfare, the Unabomber, like some of these trends. Technology's bad. Um, Don't trust technology. But I wouldn't say this was toxic masculinity. I would say that this was the perfect kind of masculinity. Where does that come from? Well, because he was being a real man, you know, and like some people think... Yeah, but who who said it was an example of toxic masculinity? I'm saying it's not. Oh, why? I'm saying, why? I'm saying it is an example of good masculinity. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm saying that John McClane is an g- example of good masculinity. He is just a good person, but unfortunately, things aren't always perfect and there is toxic masculinity. And sometimes just being nice isn't enough. So he has to use his kind heart combined with kind of being a tough guy. Yeah. And the only way that this came out is, let's be honest, if he was a 90-pound weakling that didn't subscribe to going to the gym and being a cop, blah, 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 he, he would have every good, ounce of bone in his body and society should just let him win but in reality a big strong asshole is just gonna punch him out. So John McClane had to be a character that exuded positive masculinity with toxic masculinity values to just being masculine in the classic 1990s sense.
1: His honorable like character archetype is very common in action films like this because it It gives you a sense of, like, he's going to do something that I probably could not be able to do. Yeah. I also make you want to root for him by making him a really good person.
0: So I'm not a tough guy. But I related to his character because he's human and he's, he's just a good person. So if this was just kind of a meathead that was physically capable of beating up these guys like a video game but didn't have the emotional side... I would say it would be like, wow, this is, you know, this is a bad example of masculine. You're just beating people up because you're told to. But John chose to only use his physical abilities for good when he needed it, his training when he needed it. And ultimately, he didn't want people to die. And he just wanted to spend the holidays with his, his wife. And I just thought, this is a, yeah, it's the 90s were like combating that pure action star sense, like Rambo. Mm-hmm. With like a little bit more emotions in the '90s, that the '80s, the bat, the 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 action films of the '80s seem to be more just like just brute force. Brute force, fuck the the girls, and just like win the win the day. There was little, you know, sort of.
1: It's the, hard to make an emotional connection, yeah. To like Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, and Commando Predator or Predator, right? Like but, command, but we can we just say. Predator was an amazing film. It was, for sure, but like you can't put a lot of emotional No, yeah, like investment even, into his character. Yeah,
0: like when, when in that scene where he first meets his the kind of the other protagonists, and he they just like flex their muscles when they slap hands, you know. Can you bring up the the timer again so I can see you? we're not going over? Yeah. But yeah, so I just thought that this was a uh, the 90s marked that change in action stars to be more human, and I think honestly getting away even before we really talked about toxic masculinity and just, just manliness and that concept, it was getting away from that, you know? And I noticed that the, even in this movie, the, the female role was,
1: there was no damsel in distress.
0: No. In fact, she was like crucial to getting this plot going and she helped out almost as much as John. And she wasn't just like, Oh, John save me. She's like, how can I friggin' help? Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to shut this guy up. I'm going to take initiative. So she, it wasn't like a girl and a boy, Mario saving the princess. It was like, we are married. We are both in this situation together, and we are going to help each other out so that we can spend time together. Not, John, save me. It wasn't damsel yeah. in stress. You're right. And it, he wasn't just a meathead that knew how to shoot. He was... He... It was basically like those video games where you just shot things. And then in the 90s, they had these computer games where, well, shit, to solve the game, you had to solve the puzzles, you know, like mist and stuff. You started realizing that you need to use your brain just as much as your bronze.
1: Yeah, the the best example of the character archetype, like the, the archetype of the character changing um, to show a more emotional side is... Uh, when he runs out to try to become a beacon, like he lights those torches on fire to like beacon the the plane that's gonna crash, uh, and he isn't able to help them, he actually cries
0: after yeah. the plane explodes. I like, I and like, yeah. They showed that whole scene, like he's freaking out, like he, he, and that's that's just human emotion, but that's also breaking that toxic, like the old eighties action guys would just go. I'm gonna get you, Colonel Stewart. Like yeah. th- they would still be on point, but he's just like, "Oh my God, 230 people just died." I sound a little nasally. I can hear it. Um. Anyway, so that's that was cool. Uh, a few other facts I got, Dave. Um, Denver. They wanted. Den- I think they filmed it in Denver. Oh. Uh, but it was unreasonably snowy. Uh, snow less. Sorry. So the snowstorm scene. Uh, Had to be created artificially. They were like, you can tell, man. You can see the snow hit the actors, and there's by like it's not real snow at all. And most of the interior airport scenes were filmed at Tom Bradley International Terminal, LAX.
1: That's so funny because they shit on LA so much in that that
0: movie. (laughs) So, uh, remember that scene we said it was like, why is this Colonel Stewart just naked at the start? Yeah, it's like, what's going on here? Uh, it was uh, Rennie Harlan's idea, and I don't remember. Was he the was he the director? Yeah, he was the director. It was the director's idea um, to have Colonel Stewart, played by William Sadler, uh, do naked martial arts during the film sequence. He'd later say this was an effective but unusual way to introduce a character. Yeah, I'd say. Uh, but to be honest, it made me think that this guy is very self Centered and now he's the toxic 80s bro. He's just like, I got one thing on my mind and it's whatever I want. Like, yeah, yeah. No emotion versus John's emotion. Yeah, it
1: juxtaposes uh, John McClane very well. Yeah. Because they're both like, and they're both really good at what they do. Like, they're very similar, like, like nemesis. They're both very good at what they do, uh, but they had to battle each other and one of them has to win. And luckily for us, it's John McClain.
0: Here's my last little fact. Cast members Bruce Willis, William Sadler, so that's Colonel Stewart, and Fred Dalton Thompson all appeared on Roseanne in 1998 uh, during the first season. And while Harvey appeared during the fifth season, Taylor Fry, who played Lucy McLean in Die Hard One, also appeared on the show. Nice. And uh, Colleen Camp, who played Connie w- Wakowski, I think in Die Hard with a Vengeance played three different characters on the sitcom isn't that crazy so everyone has a Roseanne connection that is pretty interesting
1: and that's uh, do you have any facts no I didn't really look any up I just kind of watched the movie and
0: thought about it a lot so how would we link this movie uh, to any of the other sequels we've seen not really Um, it's still the hero's journey so
1: it follows like the Highlander kind of theme yeah. And um, and remember John Wick too. like it's a Yeah.
0: you're out there solving a problem big action movie but once again with with emotion. Yeah. So that's cool. All right, stay tuned for more shows at Hendry's Barbershop. If you're once listening, yeah. If you're listening to this in November, which you probably aren't. We had a show on November 26th and it was awesome. There were so many people And the next show is probably December 17th, I want to say. Dave, do you have it? Yeah. I would say it's going to be December 17th. But to check it out, go to Facebook.com slash Comedy at Hendry's Barbershop. Okay. That was great. Huh? That's a good name. Dave came up with it. What? I like it too. We'll see you next show, Christmas Vacation. See you guys. Bye. Oh.
1: What? Nothing, buddy. Okay. okay.